Hello, this is Minute 72 of As If, the podcast about Clueless, where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I am the improbably named Park Parkinson, your host. With me today is my wife, Jackie Parkinson. Hello. Hi, I'm my own person. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I promise my condescension is only for... Uh, t- today's minute, Minute 72, um, starts with where we left off, Cher uh, complaining about Ty. And ends with Cher yelling at Josh. Uh, and in between, she freaks out about clothing that she doesn't, she can't find and um, has a fight with her maid. So it's really the, the, um, the Cher's brat minute, uh, if there is a specific minute for that, where she gets really bratty and, and tantrumy. And I feel sorry for people around her. Um, yeah, well, let's talk. What, what, what stood out to you? What, what do you want to pick out in this minute the clothing volcano that opens up the minute so many clothes and there so many of them are getting so wrinkled and it's not like she's going to hang those up herself i feel bad for lucy who i assume is going to be the one to hang up all of the clothes and yeah i really feel like this she's she's got a very specific clothing system for how she like matches everything via computer and and all i could think of was how this is really going to mess that up for her yeah well and you're looking for a garment and you can't find it. It doesn't make it any easier to find it to throw everything else on the floor. That's just having a tantrum. Yeah, yeah I feel like if she if she needed to find help or she could expect Lucy to help her um, find her clothes, uh, she could have asked earlier on, or I don't know, asked like her computer or whatever. The fact that that didn't happen, this is this is going as poorly as it is, speaks to how how mentally frustrated and, and upset that Cher at this point, you know, this, this starts, our minute starts out with Cher thinking, I, I must be living in some sort of alternate universe because like, just the last time D is asking Ty for sex advice and Ty's the most popular girl in school. She says now at the beginning of this minute, it's some sort of alternate universe. And then on top of that, she can't find her most responsible looking ensemble for her, um, for her driving test. Which is apparently a white collarless shirt from Fred Siegel. I had never heard of that store until I watched this, but I bet it's a very fancy defensive store. Or it doesn't exist anymore. Or that. Or, or both, I assume. Or, yeah. Or both. yeah. So yeah, she's this is this is shares like like crisis minute. This is really where things come to a head and, and the movie kinda turns. Yeah, as we discussed in the last minute, this is the part of the movie where Cher fails at things. Yeah. Where Yeah, she she can't command the lunch table. She can't even get Ty's attention. She can't find, you know, she can't, she's lost control of her wardrobe, which is the thing that oh, we saw her have the most control over at the beginning. This is really very well constructed, the ways in which she is failing. Another example of the way this movie is tightly written. It is, yeah. I find it irritating. I find the, the characters <laughs> irritating. Um, I mean, in part because Emma is my least favorite Jane Austen novel. Um, but... <laughs> You can't fault its construction, and you can't fault its visual aesthetic, and the soundtrack is great, and... Oh, yeah, the yeah. the 
music in here is fantastic. Thumb, I will say mostly up. one of the things I enjoy about her um her uh volcano of clothes, as you put it, is I didn't do earlier minutes where we saw her um her wardrobe and uh so I I had kind of did not look in this kind of detail and forgot about what what things were in her room and her wardrobe is like. And oh my god, there's like a crazy diva giant wig in there and what looked to be I can't tell if it's a curtain or or pants. And there's like a <laughs> gold satin thing. I'm that's probably a curtain that she just threw aside. Um but she's got like a like a like a pink jumper dress, like overalls, but it's a dress. Um she has some like Yeah, that's called crazy a jumper. Fun, yeah. Just some some well, to our British listeners. Uh, they won't know that term for that. I think they call uh, that a pinafore, although I could be wrong. Well, that just made a musical make sense in a way I hadn't heard before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel... Uh, what, a, what a bad Anglophile I am. And, but just a ton of, like, wacky, crazy, fun stuff. I, she, it's like she, she could dress like Amber if she wanted to. Uh, but she, she tones it down a little bit and... and you know, negotiates a middle way. It's but, such a waste, really, to have all these resources to buy clothes and all of these great clothes and to use it on things like white collarless shirts from Fred Siegel and <laughs> and mini skirts that any person would wear. It's a waste. I mean, yeah, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw any shade on that mini skirt. I just noticed too, she like stomps so hard when she's yelling about where's my white shirt from Fred Siegel that one of her um one of her knee highs rolls down because she stops so hard. She's her level of, of anger and frustratedness. Um, and wow. I just saw this in the, in the same category as, as a uh, golden water bottle chalice. She has a freakish purse sitting on her chair that, you know, I'm a dude and I want some of her stuff that is like a it's like a big round purse like round like the size of a torso and it's purple and it's a giant monster face with one eye and a big nose and a huge cheshire cat grin and it's kind of freaking me out yeah purses really aren't as cool as they used to be is what i'm taking away from this regularly being shown yeah um so she stomps downstairs and has what seems to be the be the most like spoiled rich kid moment of the movie where she's yelling at her maid about her outfit and her maid is like yeah you know lucy who's kind of a great character um <laughs> uh, yeah whatever i'll i'll call the dry cleaners crazy white lady stop yelling at me and she's like well that's too late you know and then she's also you were going to talk to our gardener you haven't done that and then you know lucy is like oh why don't you talk to your gardener is your gardener and she says uh, you know i don't speak mexican which is Honestly, sounds too dumb for Cher. Like, I don't... I agree. I think Cher is more aware of the world than that. Like, I totally buy her not getting that it would insult someone from El Salvador to be called Mexican. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But not her not getting that the language is Spanish. Yeah, she's not... She's not stupid like that. That's that's such such an out there, clear fact. I don't think... Like, I don't think she would say, except maybe, you know, jokingly... That she spoke American. Like, I think she would know that she spoke English. I think she would know that Mexicans speak Spanish. Uh, and a great deal of the Middle and South America speak Spanish. I, I feel like that's not a kind of mistake. These yeah. are people who 
high school students who also throw around references to like, you know, to Oscar Wilde. Um, I feel like they would know. Yeah. Stuff they would know. So that's a moment in that, that interaction that didn't ring quite true, but I do really like when she's talking to Lucy, just how automatic and resigned Lucy is about calling the dry cleaner. Yeah. The shirt back, just her immediate response is, okay, I will call not. Can you wear something else? Or where did you see it last? (laughs) Or Lucy puts up with, so much crap. You in have this movie. lots of shirts. Surely you have another shirt that is also responsible, or they will <laughs> test your driving and not your wardrobe, young lady. Didn't, I want to say Lucy, maybe, and I feel feel bad if I'm misremembering this, but I believe Lucy also makes their food. I think it's earlier when Lucy Lucy has like cooked a like heart healthy meal for um for her father. Uh, who, of course, you know, is like kind of he wants a steak and he's kind of a turd about it. Um, I just feel like, man, Lucy just takes nothing but crap from this family. I hope she gets I assume she gets paid really well. Hopefully. I don't know if that's something that you can count on. I, no, I, I, sp- I suppose not. Very rich people often have a reputation for being stingy in ways they don't have to be. That's true. Um, I, I will say that in general, like um, I, I, my favorite character Yours, yours is is Paul Rudd, um, and uh, my favorite character is um, is her dad, um, uh, uh, Mel. He is Mel a good Horowitz, character. Um, who you know, I mean, totally apart from the fact that he, you know, his relationship with Cher is pretty good. He also has a good relationship with his ex stepson. You know, and he's and he's very like no responsible thing to do. You don't divorce children; it's not cool. Um, yeah, that is cool. That seems like a, something that is awfully tricky for a lot of people who don't want to be jerks. Just what do you do with exes and steps and people who you know you formed legal relationships with? And um, that's not a very interesting tangent, though. No, no. I just <laughs> I feel like I feel like Mel. Bring you back to the movie. I feel like Mel is the kind of guy who pays Lucy. To take this kind of crap. <laughs> you might be right. Like, okay, here, here's the deal, Lucy. I'm going to pay you more than most of your friends are getting. I am also going to be a jerk to you. Please understand that these things are related. Like, I am I, I am purchasing the right to act the way I would like to. Is this okay with you? I know I'm kind of a dick. Uh, my daughter can be uh, kind of, you know, difficult to deal with and, and be around it sometimes. So... Is very demanding, so I am going to pay you like whatever is the average salary, whatever you got at your last place. We're doubling that, <laughs> and you're going to have to take a lot of crap while you're here. Um, yeah, and then said after she after Lucy storms out uh, in the middle of cleaning, she's like, "I can't be around you, crazy white lady anymore. I'm done with you." <laughs> then she walks over to Josh, and uh, to Cher's credit, she walks over to Josh and was like, "What was that all about?" I mean, that, that also could just be an expression of frustration, but it, but Josh answers, and it, I think his answer has an effect. The scene ends, this minute ends with Cher, Cher saying that, oh, okay, so everything is all my fault, like, completely jumping yeah. to that conclusion, and I really like that as a realistic way to react. It's obviously knows she's wrong, it's obviously, obviously knows she's yeah, being definitely. kind of wrongheaded and kind of petulant and she wasn't fair to lucy and so she's going ah, everyone's against me yeah no i totally agree I, she is she is upset here because she feels guilty yeah there's like you can see in the in the I mean, you know i have 
I have not watched a lot of Alicia Silverstone movies outside of this and and uh, Batman, but she does a good job here of being, you know, angry and yet she looks like she also feels chastened. She feels ashamed. Um, yeah, she has really big expressive eyes. That helps a lot. She does, and the mouth thing she does, where like one, or the the bottom, right, I think, right or left. One side of the bottom of her mouth is always going down when she talks. Um, yeah. Like the opposite of a smirk. Um, <laughs> yeah, what would that even be? That's, that's not a word for that, is there? Uh, a crims. <laughs> she has a crims. Uh, that's what I say. And I'm <laughs> starting right now. But and Josh has a really good response, too. I, I, he brings it back. He I, I good reason to like Paul Rudd's character. Um, as well as Paul Rudd, his response to why, what was, what were you mad about that? Or why, uh, why was she mad about that? What was so bad? What he just did. He's like, you mislabeled her and, and explains how Cher mislabeled her in a way that Cher would have to understand. You know, she's not from Mexico. She's from El Salvador. You get mad if someone thinks you live below sunset. So when someone geographically or culturally mislabels you, that angers you. You did something like that like ten times worse. Yeah, well, and we can tell that Cher is is open to the criticism, even if she's not showing it here, because she could easily have said, oh, but that's different. Right, yeah, she doesn't argue. She just goes with, everyone's, you know, everyone's against me. I guess I'm just wrong, you know. But, I mean, yeah, I think she, <laughs> she states it in a very angry way, but I think she's contrite, and I think she feels bad. Yeah. You're right. I I think if she were if she were arguing, if she said like that's not the same thing, it's totally different, um, that would seem much meaner and pettier and like she was being closed off to criticism. She ends this minute in that moment where you go, No, I'm not a dick, everybody else is dicks. You know, the moment you have when you know that you are in fact the dick. Yes, she is aware that she is the dick. Maybe you need a bath. <laughs> I'm gonna reference children's books that we read our son. <laughs> what other teen movies do you enjoy? It depends what you count as a teen movie. I love Ten Things I Hate About You. That's probably my favorite of the the teen romantic comedy genre. Um in general, as well as the the teen romantic comedy adapted from a classic genre. I was gonna say there was a thing of. in the nineties. Ten Things I Hate About You, and Oh, and we, I think other comments have covered this, but there was a thing about, like, oh, we know how we can make teen movies good, we'll, you know, Dangerous Liaisons, we'll just, uh... Yeah. Take a classic, and or and we'll switch it for teenagers. I wonder what began that. I was, I would have guessed that it began with Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, but I'd have to look that up. But... but that was... Yeah, the Romeo plus Juliet. I feel yes. like that was right around the same time as this. Yeah, it could be like, there. Maybe just part after. Of the same wave. Yeah, that was ninety six. So that was like the year after this. But okay. I'm, I bet when this came out, I for all I know it would already have been in. And the night, the cool thing about Romeo and Juliet, of course, you don't have to change ages. No. If if anything, they're probably still older in Romeo and Juliet <laughs> than they were in the play. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, though I mean, not you know, culturally. Um, Romeo and Juliet are, are are nearly adults. They're they're quite they're closer to adulthood than Romeo and Juliet. Um, and Romeo plus Juliet might be. I'm not sure. I haven't seen Romeo plus Juliet in a long time. But that is a that is a quality adaptation. That that's a good favorite teen movie. I think, honest. Yeah, I like that one. Um, I don't love it. Love it. Um, 
sort of defensively, I think, because all of my friends were very, very into Leonardo DiCaprio. And he was a little too pretty for me. I was in the tank for David Duchovny at that point. Very different. Very, very different. So Romeo and Juliet didn't quite do it for me the way that maybe it should have. But it's, Equally it's a lanky. good movie, and it's a good... That's true. Well, I, not, it's not true, because Duchovny's taller. It's a good but movie and a good adaptation. Um, but body. not my favorite. But I love 10 Things I Hate About You. I love Heath Ledger, and um, and the way that movie deals with sex is really, really smart, I think. Um, I also... That's the one that's... That's an adaptation of of um, Taming the Shrew, right? Right, yeah. Um, I also really like Heather's. Um, I kind of think of Heather's and Clueless and Mean Girls as all part of the same genre. Maybe maybe that's not fair, but I'll probably... Be part- like, ex- like exploring popular people culture? Yeah, exploring... Yeah, popular girls doing awful things. For varying, well, th- varying degrees of awful, certainly it's much better to give Ty a makeover than to poison <laughs> Heather. But yeah, I like or to, Heather's a or lot. Or to lure two boys into the uh, into the woods to stage a murder suicide. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's that's slightly worse than giving someone a makeover. Only a little bit though. <laughs> yeah, I like Heather's and of course I like the um the teen movies that cool people like, like Brick. <laughs> oh yeah. I think I think Brick is probably way, like up there with at least my, my like favorite couple of of uh, of like teen high school movies, um, and I I a lot of the recent stuff in some ways you know harkens back to this. I would say e- even like the like the action adventure stuff, uh, like um, uh, uh, the Hunger Games, you know, uh, you know, sometimes goes back to not Clueless in particularly uh, in, in particular, but goes back to like the adaptation of the classic stuff just in the kind of the way there's ways they're evolving characters and dealing with some of the themes they deal with uh, which I really like I and I like how much more interesting the it seems like the, you you are much more likely to get interesting female characters when they adapt a classic that is a good point yeah maybe that's my 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 prejudice in favor of of classic literature or even more so classical literature but it seems like it gives you a much better chance of having a of deeper characters, particularly deeper female characters and more important female characters. What I wonder is whether pulling from the classics gives a project enough gravitas that it's possible to get it made. Um, that it's possible for a female director like Amy Heckerling to get a movie made about young female characters if she's pulling from a famous book that is has been vetted. You know, and I should say, if people don't notice... Um, Amy, Amy Heckerling is the is the writer, uh, technically writer. I mean, she did the adapt, she did the adaptation, and director of Clueless. And it's funny because they didn't they didn't say Clueless was Emma. Like it wasn't like it was sold that way in the advertising. It wouldn't surprise me at all if it was sold that way to um, to executives. I don't know if it's more like like a gravitas as like this is a big thing and so it's worth doing and more like it's been tried and succeeded before. So it takes the pressure off of executives. It's kind of like when, um, you know, when it's easier to get a, anything made on TV or adapted into, you know, to be, to be a, a movie if it's been a hit in Britain first. 
Because you can always say, well, this totally made it in another country, or totally made it in another format, and so if it fails here, uh, studio executive, you can claim it wasn't a dumb decision, because you had a good reason to believe it would succeed, and you'll keep your job even if this fails. Yeah, it's a combination of citing legal precedent, and he did it first! <laughs> um, and, as a result, now we have ladies busting our dang ghosts, and the world's going to hell. I don't have much else to say about this minute. I think this, in terms of fitting in with its time period of teen movies, I think this minute demonstrates one of the ways in which it's it's right with them slash before them. And when I, when I think of, and I, I haven't watched a lot of the teen movies from the... 10 Things I Hate About You, you know, era, which came after this, you know, it's sort of like 98, 99, 2000, um, 99, I think had like a bunch of ones come out, but those feel like clueless to me. Like when I do see parts of them or I catch them on, used to catch them on TV, um, they reminded me of clueless. It really feels like, like this scene is a good demonstration of the sort of look that heralded those movies. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not sure exactly what elements go into making a movie look like Clueless, but certainly 10 Things I Hate About You looks a ton like Clueless. It's set in a well-to-do California high school, for one thing. Um, yeah. She's All That looks like Clueless. That was That's the, the that one was I associate yeah. most strongly with this movie, actually. She's All That. Um, speaking of adaptations... Just like we practiced. What? <laughs> Just like we practiced. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I saw clips from all of those movies... Many, many, many times because I've worked at a blockbuster um, around this this era, um, and then of course uh, used to frequent video stores um, very often in college because um, we didn't have cable and we wanted to watch movies, and uh, and Checks my out. friends used to hang out there, and so uh, I am watching like clips of those on that video loop, you know, over and over and over again, and. Yeah, I feel like Clueless, like with the way the music is very important, um, the sort of general look and the and the class of people being depicted, um, kind of set a bit of a standard. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's, I think, possible that there's a progenitor of it that I'm not aware of. Uh, yeah, I probably I'm sure like if if either one of us were you know if this was our genre. Um, would probably uh, yeah probably have other movies to mention. Could be then again though. I also remember this getting a lot of press when it came out and a lot of attention. Yeah, it was definitely uh, everyone I knew. Like it was popular among people I knew, and it kept coming up in the newspaper and um, teen magazines, from what I recall. Yeah, it was not popular in the teen magazines that I read, which which mostly... were not any magazines. No, I, I um is Mad a teen magazine? Uh, how about the <laughs> how about the Star Trek fan club? I wonder what the uh, um. Mad Magazine parody of this was called. Uh, well, now I'm going to look. Boobless. Dullless. Not very Dullless. inspired, Mad. No, I have to say, I I might have laughed that when I was 15. I think when I was 15, was I was beginning to groan more than laugh at, at, at Mad Magazine. Yeah, there was... Oh, no, Dullless is their Dallas parody. I, I'm lost now. Huh. I had a subscription to Mad for a few years probably from like ages 12 to 15. And there was definitely a tail end there where I was kind of outgrowing it, but my dad was still digging it so much that I didn't want to, <laughs> I think YM was the magazine I read the most often. And Clueless is definitely coming up there. How to look like Cher. 
how to dress like Cher, etc. So anyway. I don't really have anything to plug at the end of our <laughs> minute. <laughs> but I will once again mention Diana's podcast. A radio podcast. Radio-podcast.net. Check it out. Um, they have a new episode uh, uh, every two weeks. And I don't have anything to plug, but I want to say that blackberries are delicious and you should eat some sometime. That's what I've got. Well, Jackie, thanks for being with me um, uh, in our apartment and also on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Join us next week when your host will be Amy Pascal. This has been uh, Minute 72 of As If... for listening to this episode of As If, the podcast all about Clueless. Produced and edited by Darren Husted. Executive produced and hosted by Park Parkinson with my guests Diana McMullen and Jackie Parkinson. Follow us on Facebook at As If The Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at As If underscore podcast. And follow us on Instagram As If Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Shot Engine, or the podcasting app of your choice. Please write and review if you enjoy. Clueless is owned by Paramount Pictures. No infringement is intended. Clueless.